can we better motivate ourselves to generously give to the less than glamorous causes? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another edition of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. In our upcoming Torah portion of Truma, we highlight the giving, the gifting, toward the Mishkan, toward the tabernacle, the temple that journeyed with us throughout our 40 years in the desert. And the term Truma, which is the word for the gift, literally Truma would be that which is elevated up. I separate out of the crowd. I take, whether in other contexts, some of the food that's separated out and given as Truma to the Kohen, to the priest. In this context, the Truma separating out of my finances or from among my resources or my assets, and I separate up and hand over toward this cause. The term Truma was found three times in the opening few verses, and as Rashi notes, it reflects on three different collections to which we were contributing at this juncture. The three, Rashi says, number one, a general tax where everybody would give the exact same amount, a half shekel, half coin, toward the silver bases that were used as supports. The temple, the Mishkan, had very tall very large and assumedly very heavy beams that would stand upright and needed sockets or bases to hold them in place, very large, heavy silver bases, and the collection to have enough silver, that was one truma. The second truma was similarly a set amount of a half-shekel coin collected from each individual toward the ongoing function of the temple that there would be enough Uh, resources to purchase the animals needed for the daily offerings, the communal offerings, and the whole topic of animal offerings for another time, but that was the the primary service done in the temple, in the Mishkan, and then in the Beis HaMikdash later on, the temples in Jerusalem, and, as Maimonides described, to be restored one day, and again, a big topic, not for now. By the way, that collection was done not only in this era uh, that first year in the desert, but every year that they had a Mishkan, every year that they had the temples in Jerusalem. Because every year that you have a temple, you have to have the operating, you have to have the offerings that are provided daily and at various other junctures on behalf of the community. That uh, annual offering was reflected in a reading that was done around the world at the end of last Shabbos's reading, because as we Enter this month, this month of Adar, the last month of the Jewish year. I know, Rosh Hashanah seems a long way off. But the cycle of holidays, as the Torah counts them, starts with Passover, with Pesach. The spring, the time of renewal, the time of our national renewal as we exit Egypt, that's really the starting point as far as our calendar is concerned. Month number one is the month just ahead of us right now, the month of Pesach, about a month away. And therefore, we are in the last month of the year in Adar. Rosh Hashanah in the fall is actually in the seventh month, and again, a topic beyond our discussion right now. But the reality is that every year there will be a collection at this time of the year so that as Nisan rolls around, as you hit the spring and the beginning of our calendar cycle, we could provide for the offerings in the temple. Worth noting that in many, 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 if not the vast, vast majority of communities around the world, uh, the strong tradition is to recreate this idea of giving the half-shekel coins 
And particularly right as you're about to hit Purim on the day before Purim, some places on Purim itself, to recreate this by giving half of whatever your current currency is. For those of you here in America, it would be half dollars. For some of you out there, um, half yens. I know we have a few listeners in India, just looking at our uh, some of these stats recently, and then whatever your currency is, it would be half of that currency. But the tradition is to do so for those of us who don't walk around with lots of half dollars, many synagogues will put out half dollars that you can purchase out of the out of the plate and then put in your own money. But that is all related to this second of our three gifts. Again, the first gift was toward the sockets, these bases for the wooden beams. The second gift was the gift done each year. Again, a half shekel coin. Everybody does the same amount, and that goes toward the Um, continual offerings of the temple, we'll call those the operating costs. The third gift, described again toward the beginning of our parsha, is open-ended. Asher yidvenu libo, as much as his lave, as much as his heart desires, each would give from his, the precious metals that are discussed in the parsha, the fine materials that are discussed in the parsha, and the other elements that went toward the capital project of putting up the Mishkan, of putting up the tabernacle. And the question is asked, why is this last gift, the capital campaign, not governed the same way? Why is there no set collection? Why is there no demand for an exact measure? After all, if you leave it up to the populace, it might not happen. If you're leaving it up to each person's motivation, well, what if they're not motivated? One of the great answers to this question was given by Rabbi Meir Shapiro. Rabbi Meir Shapiro of the earlier part of the previous century, perhaps best known for a different uh, matter altogether, the Daf Yomi one-page-a-day cycle of Talmud that is, at this point, in every significant Jewish community around the world and many, many online platforms of people studying the exact same page of Talmud every day for seven and a half years. If you do, do it every day without missing a day, you complete the cycle every seven and a half years. I was privileged to be at the celebration on January 1st, 2020, just a little while ago, in MetLife Stadium where 93,000 people uh, celebrated over there. And that was one of many, many, many venues. It was, I'm sure, by far the largest venue. Very good chance it was also the coldest venue. But um, that celebration of the Dafyomi that dates back to the cycles seven and a half times X number, I think this was actually the uh, 13th, I may be off on that, going back to the time of Rabbi Meir Shapiro. The 18th probably is more likely. <coughs> the... Um, the idea that he suggests, though, regarding this particular question, when addressing why it is when it comes to the capital campaign that there's no set tax related to a project that he personally was very involved in. He had a yeshiva, a rabbinical school in Europe, and his um, rabbinical school was probably the most state-of-the-art at the time, most advanced. Electric lighting throughout the building, which was a novelty, and a beautiful library, large, spacious study hall. And he described how when it comes to seeing the operating costs, seeing that there's heat for the students, that there's enough food to put on the table, it's often very difficult. But capital campaigns resonate with people. People like seeing their dollars go toward a building. And 
this past week, I had this message driven home to me big time. I was privileged to be talking on Sunday. Uh, I was in the New York area talking to some great, great uh, Jewish educators and great supporters of Jewish education. And one of them shared the following. He was represented a, at this point, a, a very, very large and very prestigious uh, Jewish school on the East Coast. They described it was a juncture, a period of years back, where the school was didn't have the privilege of having their own building. They didn't own a building. They were renting. Well, you could sort of say they were renting. In concept, they were renting because they had a lease. But if renting means paying rent, they weren't doing that. They were actually a year and a half behind on their rent. And they desperately were trying to catch up and having the hardest of times. And they discovered that the landlord, the organization that owned the building they were renting, was looking to sell that building plus some adjacent land and buildings. And this would be an incredible dream come true for them if they would have the security of having owning their own home, having a, a, a set building they knew they could stay in for the years to come, and having room to expand. So, it's to me stunning that they had the, the confidence, you can almost say the chutzpah, to do the following, but they approached the director of the board of the organization that owned the properties. And they said, we would like to try to buy that property. The look on her face as she commented, are you kidding? Uh, do you understand the mathematics over here? You're a year and a half behind rent. I mean, we've kind of let it go to the degree we didn't evict you, but you're a year and a half behind rent. That's $70,000. We're asking $2.2 million for this property. What are you thinking? They said, we'd like to try to buy this property. Can you give us a little time? Two months later, they had the money in hand. Money and pledges, but a significant, you know, backed pledges, they had the $2.2 million to talk about. Now, how does that happen? How can you be stuck not coming up with a few tens of thousands of dollars and manage to raise $2.2 million? Because people like donating to the big grand projects. They like donating to buildings, to expansions. But those aren't the only causes of great value. And you can have a beautiful, stunning edifice, but if you can't put the heat on for the students and you can't pay the teachers or you can't provide the food if you're running a food bank and you got the building, but you can't put food out and you can't provide uh, you know, the needs of those you are trying to service, what's the use? So I was tossing out to some of my classes this week, what would it take to motivate us to cross that line, to be ready to give to the operation costs, the ongoing needs, the same way we give to the big and the grand. I'd like to share a few of the ideas that came back my way. Um, I'm not going to give exact names. I, I did not at the time ask permission, but I'll just refer to the individuals by their first names uh, and maybe in a, in a last initial. But one was uh, Dr. Robert. Dr. Robert. We'll call him Robert. Robert suggested the following. Why is it that people like the big grand, the buildings, the edifices? Because there's something you can see. There's something you can point to. And he commented, just as we see how, how much the world was attached in the world of paganism, they wanted to be able to see their gods. And even in the world post-paganism, the, the need that so many have to have something to point to, to affix their sights on when it comes to their devotion and their religion, 
People need that sense of, okay, that's what I gave to. That's what's going to remind me. I'll feel proud about that. So the suggestion was, you need to kind of match that when it comes to the um, the more up, the, the less grand, the more basic, the daily, the operation costs. <clears throat> How so? So the suggestion was, you need to focus on um, kind of visualizing the serving that food to the person and their, their face lighting up. Uh, visualize the student who's comfortable in the classroom as opposed to the student who's all uptight and, and stressed because it's just so cold or so hot. Uh, visualize the teacher who comes home um, and not quite sure what they're going to do as far as putting food on their table because the school's behind in their payment as opposed to the teacher who feels valued and respected because they come home with a reasonable paycheck. So kind of doing what the building does for you, but with a more imaginative process. By visualizing, potentially great idea. I loved it. Another, we'll call him Michael because that's his name. Michael said, focus on the value. The value of what it is that's being provided over here. The value of the fact that there are people who are getting a dinner who otherwise would be hungry. The value of the fact that there are students who can grow in their knowledge, grow in their education, who can be the, 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 um, the link in the chain to pass that to the next generation. The value of Torah being studied, the value of each of the, again, the causes that we are supplying, that we are wanting to be motivated to support. So again, focus on that value. Another approach, um, uh, Marianne, was focus on the, the spiritual value. Remind yourself of the reward. Remind yourself of the other message at the beginning of our parsha. A very good point, when it says, "Take for me a gift." It doesn't say, "Give for me a gift." Take for me a gift, and the commentaries explain because we are the greatest recipient of our gifts. We gain the most, and that can be on many, many levels, but certainly big time on the on the spiritual, on the eternal level. So, kind of reminding ourselves of that can greater help give us that motivation. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love, please share. Um, easiest is email me, why price, but Y-P-R-E-I-S at Gmail. Share your thoughts on how can you imagine better motivating yourself? What would you do to tell me to better motivate myself to be giving to the, the kind of routine, to the daily, the operation costs, and when it's not the big grand project of an expansion, but, but again, a significant need that can be filled with our tzedakah, with our charity, with our gift dollars. Please share those, because the more we motivate ourselves and can take the ideas that we've shared today to heart, whatever ideas you are pondering, to better motivate ourselves to be ready to give, to be wanting to give, because, look, we know that there'll be others who benefit from that. Ultimately, we'll certainly benefit from that. We will become a greater representations of God on earth. God is the ultimate giver, and we'll be mimicking Him in our giving, and we'll be thereby so much more likely to achieve our tachlis.